Assalamu alaikum. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. I am Dr. Abdullah Zakaria. Welcome to Medical Matters from the Voice of Islam studio in London. This is the show where we talk about various common health problems and contemporary solution. Today's topic is chest pain. I'm joined by Dr. Mahmoud Ahmed, cardiology registrar from Royal Free Hospital. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Sahib. Alaikum salam. Now, the first question about the chest pain is, how could we differentiate between dangerous chest pain and not so dangerous chest pain? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So I think the first thing is I work as a heart attack uh, assessment doctor. So I see these patients when they first come in. So dangerous chest pain is pain that lasts for more than 20 minutes. Um, it radiates, basically goes from your the middle of your chest to your jaw or your arm. Uh, it is pain that gets worse with exercise and is relieved with rest. Uh, the What I would say is that we get a lot of patients who present late with their heart attacks because they misdiagnose their pain. So they think, oh, I have a new heartburn. But because then nobody's able to recognize because they've not had a heart attack before, they basically think, oh, it's a heartburn, it'll go away. But in essence, the pain sustains itself it lasts for a few hours and then they come in the problem with that is that if you come in in the first hour after a heart attack you will do really well and we can put stent in and fix your artery but if you come in late if you come in three four hours late then you have to remember the blood supply to that part of the heart was cut off and therefore you will do badly and your heart might suffer permanent damage so the problem with chest pain is if you have a chest pain which is new, you've not had it before in this way, then you need to go to hospital, not your GP, because that will take more time, and have it assessed and checked out. The In the hospital, they can do an ECG, they can do blood tests, they can, uh, and they have the ability to recognize that pain because you've not had this pain before. You're not able to diagnose, but the doctor in hospital can definitely diagnose that pain and send you to the appropriate place. He can give you reassurance as well. So why take the risk? Sometimes we ha- the, the problem that we have is a lot of people have this chest pain early in the morning. This odd, but this is actually the most common time to, ha- to have this chest pain. And they'll say, well, I'll let me go back to sleep or let me just not bother anybody. But actually, we say time is muscle. The quicker you come to hospital, the better it is for you. Um, now, pay patients with heart attacks they actually do not look well this is my experience when I started out as a um, a doctor somebody said I was assessing a patient I said to my senior um, well I'm not sure this guy's having a heart attack he said tell me does he look like he's having a heart attack that's an odd question but actually it turned out that they look sweaty they look unwell they're barely able to talk so you have to remember that patients with chest pain who are having heart attacks they will not look well they don't feel well they'll be sweaty sick etc and you also have to remember that if they look unwell yes there are some conditions that will mimic a heart attack and make you look unwell in the same way and they will also give you chest pain they are also extremely dangerous 
Yeah. So you're better off not taking a risk, not thinking, oh, I'm going to bother somebody, because literally the government's paid for all these heart attack centers. It's paid for all these doctors to wait for you in a &E, and as soon as you come in, they will assess you and refer you to the appropriate services. But if it's not dangerous, they'll give you reassurance, or they will refer you to the appropriate clinic, like a, like a rapid access chest pain clinic. Yeah. There's lots of appropriate services out there, so do not take the risk of trying to make a diagnosis yourself and try and remember that the quicker you come in, the better it will be for you. Thank you. So the message is absolutely clear that if it is a new onset chest pain, don't uh, sit back at home or go to the GP, go straight to emergency department. Um, and and uh, we heard about the character of those pain, it's, it's central chest pain, it may radiate or spread towards the jaw or it may be something that you never had them before and you feel unwell, in other words. Thank you very much. So my next question is about the risk factors. We heard about this um, all the time uh, in the uh, media about uh, um, you know calculating the risk of uh, cardiovascular risk or heart risk in, in short. Do you want to tell us more about this? Okay. So I think uh, it's very interesting that you know, um, when you turn 40, your risk, cardiovascular risk, in, increases quite a bit. Um, for women, it's 50. So uh, GPs in this country will carry out an assessment, and they will do things like they will check your cholesterol, and they check your blood pressure. And to be honest, if you want, you can actually go on the Internet and use a risk score. There are multiple risk scores available. Um, I was discussing with Dr. Saab about this new score system called Score 2. But... You don't necessarily need to use that. You can use any risk score that is available on the internet. And you can calculate your risk. And then we say, oh, your 10-year risk of having a stroke or a heart attack is, let's say, 7.5% or 10%. If your risk is more than 10%, you fall into an extremely high-risk category. Now, which patients fall into high-risk category? First of all, patients with high blood pressure, patients who smoke, if you smoke, you know you you'll have a fifty percent risk of having a increased increased risk of having a preventable death from smoking. Diabetes, uh, high cholesterol. A lot of people will have hidden, undiagnosed high cholesterol. It's actually quite common. Yeah. So I think the first thing, is, the other thing is that if you are Indian or um, Bengali in origin, you multiply your risk by one point three. If you are of Pakistani origin, multiply your risk by 1.7, yeah? So risk is dependent on, first of all, which country you are in. So, for example, England is a low-risk country. Um, anybody from Eastern Europe is from a high-risk country, like people like Lithuania, where the average man only lives to about 70. Uh, or Central Asia, these are high-risk areas. But if you are of certain ethnicities, you're extremely high risk as well. We don't understand why that is, is whether it's dietary or whether it's genetic, but it exists. And if you are of Asian origin, in the sense you are specifically from Pakistan, India, or Bangladesh, then as soon as you cross 40, you should really have a cardiovascular risk assessment. And you should make changes in your lifestyle to counteract that risk if your GP advises you to. 
Thank you very much. Um, so, so far we've been discussing all the cardiac risk and cardiac um, uh, or heart health. Um, if we could uh, focus on chest pain, which is not due to heart problem, uh, there are probably more so uh, non-cardiac chest pain. Do you want to tell us about them as well? I'm sure they end up in in, um, in your clinic, in your heart clinic, uh, and what would be their ratio of uh, those chest pain um, patients presenting with chest pains turn up in your clinic? So we uh, get a lot of referrals for chest pain, which is the last less than 20 minutes um, and doesn't have the typical features we talked about. That it doesn't radiate to your jaw or it doesn't get worse with exercise and doesn't relieve with the rest. So we get a lot of those. And those patients, a lot of them will have other diagnoses. So but let's say I see eight patients with chest pain. Only one will have actual proper coronary artery disease. And so other diagnoses, um, way which we see in chest pain clinic uh, commonly can be like musculoskeletal pain, heartburn. But the problem is that you cannot easily say that on the basis of your clinical examination or history taking. You have to do various tests uh, such as CT scans, etc. So it's important to understand that it's not that simple to differentiate cardiac chest pain from non-cardiac chest pain. And the issue with cardiac uh, chest pain which is not a heart attack, which is more like you have coronary artery disease, is that it can be quite problematic. You get puts you at significant risk of having, let's say, a future heart attack, and it needs aggressive risk factor control. It needs management differently. So if the doctor knew that you had coronary artery disease, they would just you know, ask you to reduce your cholesterol, etc., significantly. Now, usually most of the causes of non-cardiac chest pain uh, which can be musculoskeletal, which can be heartburn, which can be gallbladder disease, which can be pancreatitis. There's lots of different causes but from different organs in the body. Most of them are not as dangerous as coronary artery disease. So if we can rule out coronary artery disease, it's less dangerous. Now, there are some cardiac disorders that are genetic that don't involve the coronary arteries. They can be quite dangerous as well. In any case, you once you see the person in the rapid chest pain clinic, he can make an assessment and rule out dangerous causes, and then he can try and get you closer to a diagnosis. It's also important to note that people who have palpitations and shortness of breath, they tend to have a cardiac problem. They may not necessarily have coronary artery disease, but they definitely do have a, usually do have a cardiac problem. Thank you. So there are other cardiac causes, yeah. heart causes, that can make you feel um, uh, having shorter breath or palpitation or discomfort, if you like. Yeah. Um, so this is a bit of a complex area. We will not go into that detail. But what is important is actually for us to understand or, or our audience to understand is uh, the non-cardiac chest pain can present um, like a you know like a chest pain and it may not necessarily, without investigation, you can tell for sure that it is not cardiac. So they need to go through some investigations. Some investigation. Right. So this will bring me to the next question, which is all about investigations. Uh, what sort of investigations do you do when uh, when someone presents to you with the chest pain to rule out cardiac causes yeah, mainly? So, yeah. so if you're seeing them in clinic, um, so I think the first thing is you do a uh, risk assessment. Risk assessment, uh, you find out, you know, does this guy smoke? Uh, does he have diabetes or high blood pressure? 
um, and which country is he from, how old is he, all of these help establish what sort of tests you will do. For the vast majority of patients that I see in chest pain clinic, I will do an ECG, it's a baseline investigation, just see, you know, just a simple test for their heart. Uh, and I will, with nearly all patients, I will do a cardiac CT scan. And the reason for that is that I don't want to take a risk, yeah? I will do, it's a very, very powerful test for ruling out coronary artery disease. We don't really do exercise tests anymore. A lot of people ask me about exercise tests, but it's not a useful test anymore. A lot of people can't do an exercise test actually because older people, people who have medical problems, they can't do the exercise test properly anyway. So a CT scan is the most accurate test. It's quite a cheap test actually. For the NHS, it costs 80 pound. So the cost is really competitive. So for most people, it's a very good rule out test and I will do it on the majority of patients who come to our clinic and it will, it's a very good rule out test for coronary artery disease. If somebody is extremely high risk, so we talked about the features of dangerous chest pain, they have all the features and they have risk factors, I will go directly for a coronary angiogram, which is an invasive test where we have to put a tube inside somebody and put dye and actually look at the arteries. But that is not common. That is, you know, you, you, you will only do that for one out of 13, 14 patients or so, at my experience in clinic. So it's not a common test, but it's an invasive test. It's a more aggressive test in the sense that you take some sort of, you take a bit of risk. There's a risk in that test because you're putting tubes inside the person up to the heart. There's a small risk of stroke. There's a small risk of damage to the arteries, of bleeding, um, of irregular heart rhythms, uh, even of death. Yes. Yeah. So these, all these risks. So angiography which is the to putting the tube and putting dye in the arteries, we don't do that often, we do a CT scan. CT scans are very, very useful. And all coronary artery disease is not similar. So some coronary artery disease is mild, you know, just say, oh, he's, got, he's just got a little bit of uh, arthroma, and that, let's say, that's fine. You know, you, you just need risk factor control. Some people will require a stent, so you put a stent in. Some people will have disease in all three arteries. That's only 2% of, of, of these people, but you know they require surgery. Some people have a very dangerous disease pattern, which is that they have disease at the origin, like a tree, in, think instead of a branch, the tree trunk is involved. Those patients have a death rate of 10% per year, which we call left main, uh, the, so the, 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 the stem itself, the left main stem, we call that. If you have that pattern of disease, you have a 10% uh, chance of dying per year. Now, these are obviously quite rare patients, but just to make people understand that if you're a high risk factor patient, you have multiple risks. You're from this specific population, which is a high risk population, such as an Asian population, yeah? Specifically Pakistani population. We would treat you differently. We would um, really make sure that you don't have coronary artery disease. Thank you. So just to uh, uh, clarify this, um, so invasive uh, investigations are available, but there are some complications with them. So they're not the first port of no, call. No, they're not the first A CT scan would be. Like so if you can tell us, you know, in that CT scan, do they put the dye in so that they can see the arteries? Yeah, they put a little bit of dye in. It's quite a short test, actually. It's only about 10, 15 minutes. They just give you a bit of dye that shows the Go arteries. Go through the arteries or vein, veins? Vein. vein. It goes okay. through the vein. It's a very short test. They just put a vein flow in. They give you a bit of dye. The arteries clearly show up. You can rule out coronary artery disease very well. 99%, above 99% effective in ruling out coronary artery disease. So very, very accurate test. However, it's not recommended for everybody because obviously there's a radiation risk and the radiation uh, risk uh, puts you at risk of cancer. So... 
if you have it like a few times in your life, it's fine. But it's not recommended to have it every year, for example, because sometimes we get people, oh, can I have a check? No, no, that's not a good idea because you have to remember all of these tests carry some risk. Okay, so it's not for screening for healthy people. No. But people who are symptomatic, presenting with chest pain, they can easily have this CT scan after putting some dye in to look at those uh, coronary arteries yeah. on the screen and rule out if well, any Most block. people just need to do a cardiovascular, the GP, sorry, needs to do a cardiovascular risk assessment. And they can tell you, oh, you have a 10% risk of having a stroke, heart attack, or death in the next 10 years. Oh, you need to be careful. Or you have a 5% risk, or you have a low risk, you have one to two. Most people under 40 have only a 1% to 3% risk of having any sort of cardiovascular event in the next uh, 10 years, which is quite low. Excellent. So thank you for that. So the investigations are covered. Now we come to, so when we do investigations, we might find one, two or three arteries blocked or not blocked. Mm -hmm. If there is no block, people are all happy. Fine. So if you see some block in there, what sort of managements are available? You know, we know about, you already mentioned about the stent, but if, you know, like, you know, you may have atheroma of little bit, little bit there, angina is there. What sort of treatments? So let's start from the angina part and then go down the, or go up the ladder. Okay. So the first thing to understand about angina is that we've found over time that most angina or chest pain on exertion actually comes from the really small arteries. And those small arteries are not visible easily on angiography. This is why sometimes people have chest pain and the doctor gives them tablets uh, and, and uh, so have chest pain and we they have a little bit of disease and the doctor doesn't give them stents, he gives them tablets first. That's because tablets are effective in uh, taking the pain away from the small arteries. Um, however, some patients who in tablets don't work, they will benefit from a stent. But we do have to remember that most of the pain comes from the really small arteries which are not visible on angiography, and that's why doctors recommend tablets for most patients. Now, patients who have severe disease, we will usually put a stent in, especially if they're symptomatic. A stent is not a benign object, by the way. Your, the, your body itself has got the best system. A stent is a piece of metal coated with a drug and it is ca- is prone to failure. Uh, you have to take drugs to keep it open uh, for at least a year. You have to take lifelong aspirin to still continue trying to keep it open. Um, if you have another heart attack you've, and if you've had a stent, usually we find the stent is the problem. And this is why it's important to remember a stent is not a cure. A stent works very well if you've had a heart attack. But for patients who have a heart attack and you have had chest pain, we find tablet therapy is better because as we discussed before, most of the pain is coming from the smaller arteries and um, the, the so a stent necessarily may not necessarily make your chest pain go away if you don't have a heart attack. Yeah, It may be beneficial for patients who've tried three different tablets and it's not working. Yeah, So it, it, the public needs to understand Stents are not always helpful, yeah? For chest pain point of view, I mean, it may be helpful to maybe to to protect your heart muscle so that they don't die. They have a circulation there, but the pain may exist even though you have stents. Yeah, even if you put stents in, the pain might still exist. And this is important to say. The other problem is you have to remember the arteries are very long and the stent only covers a small section. Yeah, so th- this this is what for the public needs to understand that okay, they put a stent in, but the pain could be coming from other places, all these smaller vessels, etc. Now, bypass surgery 
is only recommended for a very small percentage of patients. Usually they are patients who have disease everywhere. Now bypass surgery in this country has very good results. So usually most patients are out within four days. Um, but it's not uh, something that we do for the vast majority of patients. We try and either manage minor disease with tablets, risk factor control, uh, disease which is in one or two vessels with stents, uh, and disease which is everywhere, we can do bypass surgery. However, some people are too old or too frail to have bypass surgery. For example, somebody who's really old or has dementia. You have to remember that these procedures don't work very, very well in people who are old. Let's say you are above 90. Above 90, any procedure is probably not going to be beneficial for you. It's going to have a high complication rate. In those patients, is not that beneficial. Um, 80 to 90, if you don't have a lot of comorbidities, yeah, we can do procedures on you. But above 90, no. Okay. Zakumullah, thank you very much. Um, so that uh, leads us to the uh, the right at the end of the program. Uh, so we've done the management bit. Now, if we don't want to be uh, end up with that stage where we need treatment, like we want the prevention arm, like my risk factors, say, for example, I'm consulting GP who tells me my risk is more than 10%, and he is persuading me to give me some tablets, which i you know, might be thinking, why do I need to take that tablets? Uh, in terms of the prevention of ischemic heart disease or heart problem, um, GPs and doctors, um, you know, will prescribe uh, some uh, lifestyle changes and statins. Do you want to tell us more about this? How important is it to comply with this? I know a lot of people will say statin will give you side effects and I don't want to take tablets when I don't need to. I need natural methods or I'll go and buy some, uh, I don't know, vitamin tablets or whatever and then uh, people really do harm themselves. Do you want to, what's your take on that? So uh, the reason the GP is doing these tests is for risk factor control. Uh, he is trying to give you a longer life. Now, the first thing to understand is that he, ha, uh, having a heart attack is the biggest cause of loss of uh, the functional years in the world. So if you have a heart attack, because unfortunately it occurs younger than when you have a stroke, uh, a lot of cases you will be have some disability. So you won't be, you'll have to retire from work you will uh, may have to retire from work. You may not be able to do the things you were doing before. Uh, you won't be able to take care of your family. Uh, you uh, will be uh, left with uh, possibly a bit of depression because you know you're not able to do the things that you're able to do. So the first thing is the GP is only trying to give you a longer life, and not only a longer life, a life which is free of disability. Because let's say an intervention that a GP tells you, let's say he tells you to stop smoking. If you stop smoking, you will have an extra four to five years of life. Yeah? And with smoking, fifty uh, it increases by 50% your risk of having a preventable death. Yeah? So that's important to uh, understand. So the other thing he might do is ask you to take um, blood pressure tablets. Now, you have to remember that even the tiniest bit of increased blood pressure, hypertension, um, will cause increased cardiovascular risk. And with women, actually, they, uh, uh, although we use sort of the same targets for men and women, in reality, women even slightly more, uh, I mean, they, their blood pressure doesn't have to be as high for them to develop cardiovascular risk. Now, with cholesterol tablets, 
there are a lot of misconceptions among the public. Um, first of all is that people are scared of all getting muscle aches. There are a lot of trials to show that uh, most of the muscle aches that people feel are not really related to statins. If you uh, don't want to take statins, there are lots of alternatives. Azetamibe, uh, there are um, the drugs, injectable drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors. So if somebody actually have side, has side effects to statins, which are quite rare in reality, there are lots of alternatives. Yeah, There are even some, um, in our lipid clinic, we even prescribe plant sterols which are, uh, basically, they can reduce your cholesterol. So what I'm trying to say to the public is, first of all, is that the uh, risks of taking a statin, the side effects of statin, are vastly overstated. Okay. But you have to remember that the three big ways that people die in this country are stroke, heart attack, cancer. And now recently there is a dementia as well. Dementia, coming, dementia, <laughs> overall, dementia overall is the number one number cause of death, but that's more like related to strokes. <laughs> stroke, yeah. what, what I'm trying to say is that you are not understanding. The GP is trying to help you have another four or five years of functional life. And he is trying to prevent the suffering that will come to you if you have a heart attack. Once you have a heart attack, mm -hmm. you know, do you have a 20% risk of having another stroke, heart attack, or death within a year? You have the end stage. You are you can no longer control your destiny. Absolutely. Yeah, and that risk will not go down. Every year from that point on, you have a 20% risk of having Absolutely. stroke, death, heart attack. And therefore, once you have a heart attack, you don't have a functional life, and every year you'll be more, you are more likely to be disabled, every single year. And you are likely to die early. You are, so, so what what he is saying is when he's offering you these tablets, he's only doing it because he is seeing that your risk is really high of having a problem. Yeah, he's seeing that you have. He's warning you that you have a risk of let's say seven point five percent or ten percent risk. Absolutely. So in the UK, we are also fortunate that there is no vested interest of the primary care physician or yeah. GPs. They don't get any percentage or commission from prescribing anything. So be rest assured, our audience, at least in the UK, you can trust your doctors. They're prescribing you because you need it. There is no vested interest in there. And if you have problems with the statins, there are alternatives, uh, as we just heard. Zakumullah, thank you very much for your valuable contribution, Dr. Mahmoud Ahmed. I would like to thank my uh, um, team behind the uh, mic, uh, who is helping us to record this program. Um, uh, and and, and uh, as, as before, if there is any feedback, please email us to medicalmatters at voiceofislam.co.uk. You can listen to this episode again by logging on to www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Until next time, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.